Hello, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint, and we are so glad you're with us today. We're in the second installment of our series entitled Face to Face. If you never spent a lot of time or you've never been able to spend a lot of time in John's gospel, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, accounts of the life and times of Jesus and his ministry and his teachings. In John's gospel, John chose to uh, tell us about a series of face-to-face encounters that Jesus had with people. Today, we're going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had when he met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. So I came up with the creative title of the message of the woman at the well. Okay, (laughs) we don't spend a lot of time on the titles. But the idea is simply this, that today we're going to get to see how Jesus would respond to someone that probably wasn't in the inset or the in with all the in people as far as it came when it came to religion. Somebody who would have been confused about many things, maybe a social outsider as well. And today we're going to see how Jesus interacts with her in a conversation that changed her life. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you, and uh, we'll ask God to speak to us as well. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord God, I thank you for this encounter that Jesus had with this woman and that John recorded it for us. I pray, Lord, that you will speak through this conversation to each one of us, that you'll move me out of the way. And you'll say whatever you want said today so we might come away from our time together closer to you. We love you very much, Lord. Bless our time together. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks in your outline, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will be glad to pass one to you. Hopefully you can take some notes as we go along. While traveling one day, this is point one on your outline, Jesus met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. If you're not sure what a Samaritan woman was or what Jacob's well is, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll clarify those things. But here's what John records for us. Eventually, Jesus came to a Samaritan village of Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman, so why are you asking me for a drink? And it's a legitimate question. There's a lot of history behind this that you and I need to understand in order to fully appreciate the difficulty of this conversation and why this woman would have been so surprised that Jesus was talking to her. I have drawn a very rough map on this piece of paper right here. Mediterranean Sea over here on the left-hand side. The Sea of Galilee over here. And here's the Dead Sea. We'll just put dead there, okay? This is the Jordan River. Uh, In the days, in Old Testament times, after Moses had led the children of Israel into the Promised Land, the Promised Land occupied pretty much the same real estate that it does today. And it was one kingdom during the times of Saul and David and Solomon. But Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was a fool. And the kingdom split under him into north and south. And the northern part of the country became known as Israel. The southern part took the name of Judah, two different kingdoms. And they were separated for a couple of hundred years. During that time... The, well, what it also, what's also important for you to know was the capital of Israel had been Jerusalem. And it was there that the temple was built. Solomon built the temple for people to come and worship God and offer their sacrifices. When the kingdom split, the king of Israel, a guy by the name of Jeroboam, 
said that, hey, I don't want these people going back for Passover and other religious festivals back to the, t- the temple every year offering their sacrifices because they make this pilgrimage and pretty soon they're going to revert back and start following the king of the south here. So he set up some alternate worship sites in the north and the south, built some golden calves and said, you don't need to travel all the way back to Jerusalem. Just come and worship here. We've made it more convenient and God thinks it's okay and, and all this. Well, he changed their form of worship, altered it greatly. And God sent prophets to them, to the people of the north and the kings of the north, and said, what you're doing is very wicked. I never commanded you to do this. You must not lead the people into sin with all this idolatry. But they wouldn't listen. And there was a capital in the north called Samaria, and God sent prophet after prophet, warning after warning, and the people wouldn't listen. So in 722 B.C., the warnings that they'd received came to fruition, God had said, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to take you away out of the promised land that I gave to your ancestors. If you look at the scripture, it's in your outline there. There's a note, by the way. Let me, and then this will explain the note. Most Jews in Jesus' day had nothing to do with Samaritans because of their religious syncretism. Let's fill in that blank first, and then we'll tie it all together. The word for today is syncretism. Okay, uh, Kind of a uh, fancy word that means religion a la carte. I like a little of this religion and a little of that one. And what happened was, is the kings here, starting with Jeroboam, had said, hey, you can have the same faith your fathers had, but you don't have to make the distance, and we're going to choose our own priests, and anyway, all this history about these kings in the south, we're going to get rid of all that. And so they weren't teaching the whole of Scripture. They weren't teaching what God said. And in spite of God's warnings, they wouldn't listen. So in 2 Kings, here's what happened to them. The people of the northern kingdom, Israel, persisted in all the evil ways of Jeroboam, the guy who set up those golden calves. They didn't turn from these, until, from these sins until the Lord finally swept them away from his presence, just as all of his prophets had warned. So Israel was exiled from their land to Assyria, where they remain to this day. And the king of Assyria transported groups of people from Babylon... And he resettled them into the towns of Samaria, replacing the people of Israel. And so these new people, although they worshiped the Lord, they continued to follow their own gods according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. And this is still going on today, and they continue to follow their former practices instead of truly worshiping the Lord. Syncretism. Let's add the God of the Bible plus whatever else we like. Let's kind of stir it all together and come up with a custom religion. And the people then intermarried, and so the Jews were commanded to be the people of God and to keep their race pure in the Old Testament, and these people didn't do that. They intermarried with the people from Babylon, so their race became diluted, their religion became diluted, and the people, well, they went astray. And eventually... What happened by the time of Jesus, 722 years later, the descendants of these people lived here in the middle section of Israel. The northern section, the Galilee, the, around the Sea of Galilee, the people had gone back to following the teachings of Scripture. In the south, they followed the teachings of Scripture. But in the middle, this area was known as Samaria. And the people there followed this mishmash of religion false teaching. The people who were religious Jews and devout Jews had nothing to do with these people as a result. They looked at them as traitors to their race, traitors to their religion. 
I mean, you got race, religion, and politics all stirred into one here. And so if you were a devout Jew and you were making a trip from Jerusalem up to Nazareth up here close to Galilee, you wouldn't even set foot into this territory. You'd take a trip around the edge of the country and go back in, even if it added days and lots of expense to your travels. But since Jesus came to save the whole world, he went right through. And when he's meeting the woman, he's meeting her here at Jacob's well, right in the middle of Samaria. Because Jesus wasn't worried about that. Now, before we leave this, in the last sentence there, when we talked in 2 Kings 17 of that reference, it says, and this is still going on today. I want to tell you, my friends, syncretism is alive and well in our culture, too. We can take passages of the Bible, and we love to hear about heaven. And we love to hear that God is a God of love. But we don't love to hear that there is such a thing as sin and that we need forgiveness. And don't even bring in that part about adultery or other things or that drunkenness or other things might be bad. And I'll pick and choose whatever parts I like. So I'll take parts of the Bible, and I'll take parts of my horoscope, and I'll put a little Dr. Phil in there, and then I got a pretty good sandwich. And this is where we are. And so people are making up all kinds of things, and it leads them to great pain and great trouble. And that's why we always want to make sure we're teaching what God's Word says. Well, Jesus came as a living Word of God, and he wanted to teach what God's Word says. And so he walked right through the middle of Samaria. And although this woman would have viewed this as a chance encounter at the well one day, it was no chance encounter from Jesus' point of view at all. And that brings us to point two. The woman is skeptical of this rabbi, this Jewish teacher who would be asking her for a drink because Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. You also need to know in those days there was no such thing as equal rights. Jews didn't talk to women in their own culture in public in the middle of the day. You certainly would never talk to a woman from Samaria in broad daylight. Ugh. And so she was stunned, and Jesus wasn't at all. So she just asked him, well, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, listen to this wonderful answer. Well, he's offering her living water. Let's get that straight first, too. Let's fill in the blank. He's going to offer her living water. He's at a well with physical water, but he's going to offer her something much better. He's going to offer her living water. Jesus replied to the Samaritan woman, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, the Son of God, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep, more than 100 feet deep, actually. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty again because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Oh, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. And she didn't really grasp the point. Jesus was using a, an analogy of the physical water and trying to talk about spiritual things to draw a parallel and she was going, well, if there's some kind of water where I don't have to get thirsty anymore, then give me that. So I don't have to come out and draw water every day. You need to know that in that culture, the women were assigned to draw the water. There, was, there were no faucets. There, were, there was no easy way to get water in your household. You had to go draw it from a public well and carry it on containers back and do your cooking and your washing and your cleaning with whatever you could haul back. 
It's interesting to note that she came out there by herself in the middle of the day. Usually women of the city came out together. And it was a time when they could socialize to kind of ease the burden of the task. But you'll see why in a minute that might have happened. Now what's interesting here is Jesus is offering her living water. He's the son of God. She doesn't know that. She just thinks he's another Jewish rabbi, a rather strange one, because he's talking to her in the middle of the day. And she can't imagine what kind of living water he's talking about. But it's important in the note here, Jesus didn't come to make our lives a little better, but to give us new life through the Holy Spirit. If there's some kind of living water where you don't thirst anymore, then give me that. That'll make my life easier. I won't have to go and make a trip out here. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about making her life easier. He was talking about giving her a new life through the Holy Spirit. In John 10.10, Jesus elsewhere said, I came so they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Listen to that again. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. If it's good news to you that more and better life than we ever dreamed of is available through Jesus, would you say amen? amen? That's why we worship him. You can have a better life than you ever dreamed of. And although the woman wasn't grasping fully what he's saying, she actually mimicked a point that I hear all the time. I mean, there can be people who come to a church just like ours. They come to church, and it's like, well, why do you go to that church? Well, there's lots of business contacts there. Be good for business. You can imagine that, can't you? Happens all the time. Well, I think it's important, you know, when you're somewhere, and, you know, it looks good if I ever want to be, have it on my resume or something like that. It's important. Get the right connections. I mean, these things can happen. I want to make my life a little better. You know, it's probably good. They got some wisdom and things, but, you know, I don't want to get too carried away with this. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, though, he wasn't talking about Jesus tweaking our lives a little bit. He was talking about a brand new life through the Holy Spirit. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, just to name a few just to name a few. And anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what Jesus offers is he offers us, if we are thirsty for this, he offers us a chance to have a brand new life. So he's sitting at the well and he's physically thirsty. He says, would you give me a drink? She can't figure out why he's even talking to her. And he says, woman, if you knew who I was, You wouldn't be asking me why I'm asking you for a drink. You'd be asking me to give you a drink of living water. A brand new life. A brand new life. There's a life application for you and me out of all this. Jesus offers living water to all who are thirsty for a new life. To all who are thirsty. Jesus didn't come to make our lives a little easier. He came to make our lives brand new. Here's Jesus a few chapters later in John. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone who believes in him. And so the question is still for us this morning, even as we're looking at this interview of this woman with Jesus or this conversation, the question applies, are you thirsty for a new life? Not just 
enough religion to make your life a little more palatable, a little easier, but a brand new life. Uh, a few years ago, I remember a woman came to see me, and she came in and she said, I need to talk to you about my husband. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, she said, well, he's just a jerk to me. He has a really foul mouth and a terrible temper, and he mistreats me in front of the kids, and I'm just not taking anymore. I can't stand it, and I need you to talk to him. I said, well, okay, well, you know, I'll set up an appointment. She said, well, you don't need to do that. He's in the car. And uh, <laughs> oh, he's in the car. And she said, oh, yeah, he's right outside. I made him come with me because I said he needed to talk to you today. I went, okay, this is awkward. Okay, uh, and I would tell you, my job is never boring. Okay, it's, it's difficult and strange. <laughs> it gets me in all sorts of strange situations, but it's never boring. Uh, so I walk into the car, and sure enough, the guy rolls the window down, and I go, hey, um, your, wife's been your wife has been telling me that you guys have some issues. I'd love to talk with you. Can we set up some time and grab breakfast together, and we can talk? And he said, sure, he'd be willing to do that. Okay. So we did. And we sat down and talked, and he confirmed what his wife said, that yes, he had a horrible temper and a foul mouth, and he did indeed mistreat her in front of the kids. And then I asked him why. And we sat for a long time at that restaurant, and he told me, about the pain in his life and the family he'd grown up in and how he was angry, at, still angry at his parents for some things and angry at God and, oh, my, he had a lot of bitterness that was in there. And um, I'm talking, I said, we're going to need to meet again, but we're going to meet in my office and we're gonna, you're going to spend some time with me and we're going to give you some hope through Christ. Because he didn't know who the Lord was, didn't know how to pray, didn't read his Bible, didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I introduced him to Christ in my office, and he got down on his knees, and he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart. And that man changed. And there was living water inside of him, and he became a radically new person. His temper changed. His tongue changed. He changed. Everybody noticed it. Remember, I got him a, a Bible reading plan, you know, read through the New Testament in six months. He finished it in a week. What do you got for me now? couldn't keep him away from church, signed up for mission trips, volunteered for stuff, started tithing, all these things. And six months later, his wife came to see me and I was thrilled. I'm certain she would be thrilled and was going to come and tell me how great God was. Her conversation was, went a different direction. It was very interesting because she came in and said, you know, I'm a husband has experienced all this life change and all these things. And you know, he doesn't yell at me anymore and doesn't treat me bad in front of the kids. He's really working on a lot of things and, and all that. And she said, but I will tell you something else. She said, now we're giving away you know, we're tithing to the church and we're going on mission trips and doesn't want to go out dancing anymore and I, I'm not going to be able to get that new car and that new house I want and stuff and I want you to tell him that he doesn't need to do all that and tell him to tone it down. <laughs> I wanted you to adjust him a little. I didn't want a whole new man. And you need to tell him all this stuff. And I said, ma'am, let me make something very clear to you. I didn't change him. Jesus did. And Jesus didn't come into his life to make him a little bit better and to make him yell at you a little less and make his language a little less colorful. Jesus came to make him a new man, and Jesus has done that. And we will never say we're sorry for that. And here's the question for you and me. If you're here today and you are thirsty for a new life, you can come to Christ no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and you can be assured, as sure as this woman who would have been surprised that a Jewish person would even talk to her, that God will talk to you. He'll meet you at noon beside a well. He'll meet you at a car window. 
He'll meet you anywhere, but you come to him. And you give him your whole life, and he'll change you from the inside out. I mean, that's why when Jesus wasn't kidding, anyone who's thirsty, you thirsty, come to me. God's Holy Spirit will be inside of you. Rivers of life will come out of you. And that's what's happened to that boy ever since. He's a, he's a new man. Not because of me, because of Jesus. And that brings us to point three. Well, the woman kind of sensed where this might be going, that this guy was talking about more than just tap water. And brings us to point three. Jesus wanted to talk about relationships, but the woman wanted to talk about religion. Conversation takes an interesting twist. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And you could write the word, duh, right after that, okay? Let me just stop here for a second also and remind us that it is foolish and ridiculous to not be honest with God. This woman said, I don't have a husband, which was true. And Jesus said, well, that's true. You've burned through five already. The guy you're living with now, he's not even your husband. This would probably explain why the woman was by herself in the middle of the day. When all the other women came in her circles, that wouldn't have been acceptable. And so as soon as she realized that Jesus knew all about her private life, she tried to change the subject. I mean, this was getting very personal very fast. You must be a prophet. And if you are, then tell me why it is you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman started a religious conversation. She's back to the whole Samaritan Jew thing. The Jews had always said, from the time of Jeroboam on and long before the Babylonians ever had resettled the place or the Assyrians had ever resettled the place, that Jerusalem was the place of worship. That's where God allowed Solomon to build the temple. Well, not only were the golden calves there, but later on, the Samaritans had actually built a temple of their own right here. Mount Gerizim. And they said, well, we can worship God here. What you need to know, if you look up in history, the Jews had always condemned that for their false teaching, their syncretized faith, and now even a false temple. After they'd been carried off, they still had a false temple. And in 128 B.C., the Jews actually, a bunch of them, went in and they burned that sucker to the ground. And they said, you're not going to teach that false stuff and you're not going to teach it here. Come to Jerusalem if you want to get the truth. Well, the Samaritans didn't take kindly to that. And so ever since then, that had been the big debate. Why do you say we have to go there when our ancestors say we can go here? And this brings us to a life application for you and me. Where we worship isn't nearly as important as how we worship. Jesus made that possible. 
Prior to Jesus, it did matter that you worshiped in Jerusalem. That's where God's temple was. But I want to remind us all, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament sacrifices that were performed at this temple. Where an animal had to die for our sins, Jesus said, I'm the Lamb of God, and I'll die for the sins of the whole world. And when he gave his last breath dying on the cross, he said, it's finished. And at that very moment, the temple that separated the holiest place in the temple from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in two, wide open. And Jesus made it possible for anybody to come to him anytime, to come to God anytime through him. And that's what Jesus is saying. He goes, woman, the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. It won't matter where. It'll matter how. Listen to the writer of Hebrews commenting on this. Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. Please circle sincere hearts, fully trusting him. We've got to worship him in spirit and in truth with sincere hearts coming to him and saying, God, I want to worship you. We can worship God now in the middle of the night, the middle of the day, anywhere. It won't matter now. We all come to him through Christ. And that's why at Centerpoint we have a church meeting at multiple locations simultaneously. We can use a hotel ballroom here in Prattville. It doesn't matter. We can use a church sanctuary in Cloverdale on Sunday afternoons. We can use a gymnasium at Pike Road at a YMCA. We can use a storefront. We're working on that in Wetumpka. And any point beyond that, doesn't matter. God doesn't care. We're just trying to create environments where we can worship God in spirit and in truth. When Jesus was asked once what the greatest commandment was, here's how he responded. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I want you to know that the way we even structure these worship services are all these things. Keep that in mind. We want to create an environment where our singing allows you to express with all your heart, the deepest emotions of your heart, your deepest love for God. We want to teach God's word so that our worship is based on truth. Because even if we're sincere, we could be sincerely wrong without truth. And so we want to touch the heart and the head the heart, and with our mind, with all our soul, with all of who we are. And that's what God wants for us. Put that together with the living water. I mean, you understand when God's spirit fills up our spirit, changes us from the inside out. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. I talk to people all the time. They give their lives to Christ, and they they go, I've been to church before, but it's like my eyes are open now, what this is all about. I don't come to church now and circle in the O's and the P's and connect, you know, dots with the bulletin or other things. I'm coming to church, and I'm worshiping God with my whole heart, listening to him, and he speaks to me. If you want to know how you could pray for us on Sunday mornings, please pray that way. Please pray that God will speak to us and that his Holy Spirit will move and that we worship him in spirit and in truth. And that brings us to point four about the time when Jesus had been explaining all this. The disciples came back with lunch. They'd been to Subway. They got caught in the traffic line, you know, in the drive-thru, and it took a while, so here they came. Um, But the disciples were more concerned about lunch while the woman was concerned about telling her friends about Jesus. 
I mean, it's an interesting contrast here. You'll see what I mean as we go through this. The woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus has been talking about living water, worshiping in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter where, it matters how, and all these things. And she goes, okay, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll straighten all this out. And listen to what Jesus said. I am the Messiah. It's me. If you only knew who I was. Well, just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? I mean, that's what they would have been talking about. Come back, it's like, why is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman? Well, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? We sat in that drive through line forever, okay? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, look, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months from now, four months between planting and harvest? But I say, wake up and look around. The field's already ripe for harvest. And there were people streaming out of the city with this woman leading them. Come, he's right over there. Come on, he's over there. And the life application I'd like to make from this point is this. We must never forget that Jesus came to seek and save lost people. And when Jesus is talking about the nourishment, it was doing the will of his heavenly father was why he was here. It was more important than lunch. And now there were people coming out to him who needed to hear about him. This woman needed to hear about him. The disciples weren't worried about the woman needed to hear about him. They just couldn't imagine why Jesus was ever even talking to her. The disciples had gone into the village to get some sandwiches or get some lunch it had never occurred to them to bring people out to let them meet Jesus, even though he knew, they knew he was the son of God. When they went in to get the sandwiches, and then they left Jesus sitting at the well. And never apparently invited anybody to come back. The woman, meanwhile, went out to get water. She's so excited about Jesus, she forgets her bucket. And her rope leaves it there and went, went to go get people. I want to talk to people here who've been going to church for 20 years. Let me tell you what can happen. The bad news is we can sing songs. I mean, the good news is Christ died for us and he saved us. And we can look forward to going to heaven together and we can pray together. The bad news is we can get used to that good news and kind of get callous to it and forget how good it really is. We can forget that we were lost sinners once. Doomed, going the wrong way and gaining speed. And we can forget there's people all around us who are thirsty. And we can go, well, they'll never listen. And the disciples were walking with Jesus. They had seen him do miracles. They heard why he was coming. And they went to get sandwiches. And they never thought about bringing anybody back with them to meet Jesus. Oh, by the way, you want to meet the guy who can give you eternal life? Here's a tip. I mean, it never occurred to them. Luke 19.10, when Jesus had gone to Zacchaeus' house, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus compared it to a harvest process. He told his disciples, guys, guys, open up. Open up your eyes. You've heard it said, you plant the seed. Four months later, you get a crop. I tell you, the harvest is here right now, and people are streaming out of the city. 
This woman running back to Jesus. Come on, he's right here. Come on. There's another life application for you and me. God's fields are ripe with harvest, and we're on the harvest crew. In case you haven't thought about it lately, we are the harvest crew. I love it when some of you write me and say, hey, what do I do? How do I tell my friends about Jesus? I got a new job. What should I be doing? Right. We should be praying. We should be looking for opportunities to share our faith. We should be asking, God, are you drawing some of these people to you? But instead, sometimes we can just get all worried about ourselves. And sometimes I get those heartbreaking emails. Oh, John, pray that I get another job. I'm surrounded by all these non-Christians. I want to get out of here. Why would God take me and put me there in this? By the way, do you guys have an evangelism class? Yeah. But if we teach you how to do evangelism, we're going to want you to go back to where you're working now. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Jesus also said this to his disciples. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. That's y'all. That's me. That's us. And I don't know why I did this, but I left off John 4.36. Just write it in. You're going to have to go home and read this. But here's what John 4.36 says. I stopped at 4.35, and I have no idea why. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike. You want joy in your life? Lead a brother or sister to Christ. You want to experience joy in your life? Pray kneeling next to your bed with your son or your daughter when they ask Jesus into your heart. You want joy in your life? That'll bring joy in your life. That's why we're still here. We're part of the harvest crew now. People told us about Christ. Let's tell our friends and neighbors. I mean, that was all the woman could think about. And that's what God wants us to think about. So there's two messages out of this story that seem pretty clear to me. One is if you're thirsty and you're in the sound of my voice, come to Jesus. You don't have to have all your theology straight at this point. Just come to him. Start learning his word. He'll show you. That woman didn't know much at all. She was confused. But when she met Jesus, everything changed. Come to Christ. He'll change you. And for those of us who've been believers for a while, the fields are white. There's a perpetual harvest going on. There have been people planted seeds in people's... God used other people to plant seeds in people's hearts 15, 20 years ago. Met a man in Montgomery... A couple of months ago, he said, just want you to know. He doesn't go to this church at all. He said, I want you to know I pray, I pray for Centerpoint Fellowship Church all the time, and I thank God for y'all. I said, well, that's great. Do you mind me asking why? He goes, oh, not at all. We got, he had a cousin. He said he and his mom had been praying for this guy for 20 years. The guy would never go to church. He goes, you started meeting in that hotel. And he said, I like a church that meets in a hotel. I'm going there. He said, so God's going to use you. He said, I want you to know that seed was planted 20 years ago. We've been watering it, and maybe God will bring a harvest through you. That encourages me. I hope it encourages you. We're a part of something here. A harvest of eternity. Men's souls. And Jesus wants us all to come. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the conversation that Jesus had with that woman at the well. Lord, she didn't know it, but she was, she was going to be in the Bible. And her responses give us great insight into her life and into your plan for the world. 
And oh God, I pray that you would open our eyes to how these things apply to us. Oh God, I thank you that Jesus met her and I thank you that Jesus loved her and I thank you that Jesus spoke to her. And I thank you, Lord, that she recognized that he was the Messiah and brought her friends to meet him. Oh God, I pray for those of us, Lord, who have been far from you, that we would come to you. If we're thirsty, you promise to give us water that will satisfy forever. Oh God, do business in our hearts. In just a moment of silence right now, if you are thirsty for God's presence, if you need to know that God loves you, if you need to experience God's forgiveness, pray now and say, oh God, I surrender my heart to you. Fill me with that living water. I'm thirsty, Lord. I want a new life. And now for those of us who've been Christians for years, maybe, maybe decades, would you pray that God would renew our passion and renew the excitement that we first had when we first came to Christ? That he'd put the sizzle back in our relationship, that we'd get excited about telling people about Jesus again? Oh God, forgive us when we limit your power. Oh God, forgive us when we judge people. Forgive us when we're just like the disciples. Why is he talking to her? That person will never come to church. God can't reach him, her, Oh, God, forgive us for the times we're so judgmental. And just help us, Lord, be faithful to love people, forgive people, to teach your word. Oh, God. And finally, Father, I just pray for our fellowship, Lord, that wherever we gather to worship, Lord, that we would always worship you in spirit and in truth, with glad and sincere hearts, wide open to whatever you want to do in our lives. That we allow your word to speak truth into our hearts, And Lord, we would tell you our deepest longings and confess our deepest sins. No games. Just you. Oh God, I pray that for our church. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us the same way you met the woman at the well. In the name of Jesus, amen.